So TJ Quinn, it is late at night here on the East Coast. We happened to have a podcast scheduled with you. Uh, that was an update on the Brittany Griner story. Her detainment in Russia now into day 265. And just for full disclosure here, we were pretty much done editing this thing. The episode was ready to go. And then you called with some pretty important breaking news here. So what is it? The news is Brittany Griner is in the process of being transferred to a penal colony. Uh, this is something that her family had been dreading. She was sentenced to one uh, to serve her nine-year sentence in one back in August when she was convicted. But she'd been kept in the Moscow jail where she's been for the last eight months pending her appeal. That appeal came and went on October 25th. Uh, but her lawyers only found out today that she was moved on November 4th, on Friday, the day after U.S. officials saw her. Mm. Uh, they don't know where she is. They don't know where she's going, which is not unusual for a, someone in Brittany Griner's situation. Uh, and it's possible they won't know for, it, it could be a week, it could be several weeks um, until she arrives wherever she's going. So there have been a lot of big, very important stories that we've covered on the show this year. But the biggest one by any domestic or international or journalistic or geopolitical standard is the story of Brittany Griner, one of the best female basketball players we've ever seen, who has been imprisoned in Vladimir Putin's Russia for 265 days and counting, making her officially a political pawn. So today, as the Kremlin moves Griner into a penal colony, TJ Quinn explains the story he has covered more closely than anybody else. A story about diplomacy and war and trade-offs and the changing price of freedom. I'm Pablo Torre. It's Wednesday, November 9th. This is ESPN Daily. Delicious meat, nutritious. In the snack that packs a real protein punch, wonderful pistachios, one of the highest protein nuts out there. Each one ounce serving has six grams of protein, giving you over 10% of your daily value. Trust me, I've been eating them like there's no tomorrow all week. Wonderful pistachios also come in a variety of flavors and sizes, perfect for enjoying with your family and friends or taking them with you on the go. And you, like me, are on the go a lot taking the kids to school, hopping from meeting to meeting, shopping for groceries, whatever it may be. Well, the good news is not only are Wonderful Pistachios a complete protein providing all nine essential amino acids, they're also great for all your adventures. So whether you're a pistachio purist who loves cracking open every nut or you prefer the convenience of no-shells pistachios, Wonderful Pistachios has got you covered. Grab Wonderful Pistachios and elevate your snack game today. Visit WonderfulPistachios.com to learn more. So you mentioned that this happened right after that visit from the State Department to Brittany Griner in Russia. And, and the timing of this then, as you understand it, how surprising is all of it? Well, very. I mean, it, it, her, her lawyers had said to me and, I, and said publicly afterward that, you know, usually it takes weeks or months for this to happen. And the hope all along was for on the U.S. side was that they could cut some kind of deal with Russia after the midterm elections 
to bring her home, uh, but not have her move to a penal colony. It's significant because the conditions are remarkably worse in a, in a penal colony. The jail is actually the better option. She's it's it's cleaner. It's more modern. She's got a cellmate who speaks English. Um, when you go to a penal colony, as other Americans have said in the past, it's rough. It's something out of Russian literature. These are harsh conditions. Right, uh, right. We're heading into a Russian winter. These are labor camps where people work all day. Yeah, with the work, the work aspect of this, TJ, what does that practically involve? What's something that could be her job at a penal colony? I'm really not sure. I mean, it's I've been told all sorts of things uh, from... Uh, you know, a uh, really broad spectrum, digging ditches, um, carrying things, uh, moving things, fixing things, whatever. It's just some sort of menial task that you work through and, and people have described it as exhausting, um, whether it's uh, men or women. Um, it's not optimal. Now, I've heard, you know, some people around her camp say, you know, express some optimism that Russia recognizes what a valuable asset she is and they don't want any harm to come to her. Uh, but then again, people didn't think she'd be moved this quickly. Mm. So everyone's really trying to catch up as we speak to figure out what's going on. Yeah, and just for added context here, Trevor Reed, a U.S. Marine veteran who spent nearly a thousand days in a Russian penal colony, uh, this is what he said about his experience with those conditions. The prison in general is extremely dirty. It's dilapidated. There's rats. It looks like something out of a film that you watch about, like, prisons, you know, 1,000 years ago. That's really what it looks like. I mean, everything there is just ancient, as well, apparently, as the court system, as the judicial system. It's cold there. There's just a hot water uh, pipe, basically, that you have to use to stay warm. If you lay down um, while you're in there, they will extend your time in solitary confinement. So just the mechanics of how it is that Brittany Griner's family, her camp, learns about something like this. What is the procedure here? Just because I have no idea as to how you're informed that your loved one is now going to this yeah, far worse, cinematically horrifying scenario. Well, it sounds like it, it just came out of nowhere and they discovered accidentally Tuesday um, when one of her lawyers went to see her and she wasn't there. Mm. The last contact they had with her was when they went to visit her Wednesday uh, of last week. And then the next day, U.S. Embassy officials got to see her and then she was moved the next day. Nobody was told. But from what I understand, now again, I don't know all the specifics with, with you know Brittany Griner herself, but typically what happens is Someone's legal team, their family, they're not notified right away. There's a train that moves through the country. It moves prisoners from one place to another. Um, it's it's quite likely that's that's what's happened with her. It picks people up and then it just makes a number of stops. It can take a while for it to happen. But here's the here's the uh, kind of the amazing thing I think to an American audience is they won't know. The U.S. Embassy won't know, and, or at least they're not expected to know, and her lawyers aren't expected to know until they get a piece of mail, until classic old snail mail arrives. TJ, a, a literal train and physical mail is is unfathomable in the year 2022, but that is apparently how this is happening? That's how it's happening. Um, that's, or at least that's what we believe is likely happening. You know, the, her, her lawyers are, are saying in their statement that it can t it's typically two weeks or normally two weeks for somebody to get the mail telling them 
where the prisoner is. Uh, but that was before the war. So who knows what, what's going to happen? It sounds like they have you know, no more information at this point than I do. Um, you know, haven't been able to speak to anybody from the State Department yet. They can't be happy about it. Um, obviously, her, her family was worried about this. You know, the fact that it, it's bad enough when they weren't able to have contact with her anytime that they wanted to. She only had a, a few phone calls with her wife. And, you know, when, when you're actually in a penal colony, you know, the, if there is any bright spot to something, you know, as, as awful as that, it's that you other Americans have been able, like most prisoners, to call home, call somebody uh, once a day. Paul Whelan, for example, um, we've talked a lot about the another former Marine who's who's been there for coming up on four years. Yeah, um, he's able to talk to his parents and only his parents um, almost every day. Uh, there are some gaps sometimes where they don't hear from him; they don't understand why. But so it's possible something similar will be able to happen once she gets there. Yeah, and just to be very clear about this, because. All of this is staggering to think about, but nobody in her camp, not even her lawyers, her Russian lawyers, know where she is right now. No, no, they can they can only guess. And you know, I, I spoke to some some people tonight. Um, nobody was freaking out. They 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 were prepared that this would happen at some point. It's not. It's it's hardly a good development for her. This is what they wanted to avoid. This is part of the reason. Part of the reason you file an appeal over there, even though you know there's there's you know absolutely no chance in the world um, that she's going to you know that the conviction would be overturned, but as long as the clock was running, she was still in that Moscow jail. So they, they were prepared for it. They were certainly not prepared for it this quickly. But it sounds you know like I said, nobody nobody sounded panicked. They're just understanding. Okay, this is the system. We're just going to have to wait and, and wait to hear how she is. Right. No, it's a reminder that that sentence, the actual years left on that sentence, the eight to nine years left, that that, that is all essentially an abstraction, right? Because the Russian justice system is not actually truly a justice system. Anything can happen in terms of what they do with her. This seems to have been a step they anticipated. But the step that we all anticipated from the outside here is actually negotiating a trade, right? It's that sports metaphor here for a prisoner swap between the U.S. and Russia that we've talked about extensively, TJ. How does all of this, the penal colony development, how does that affect negotiations, would you say? That's an easy one to answer. I have no idea. Um, I mean, they've, they've been waiting. They've been waiting for, for the midterms on, you know, on Tuesday to thinking. I mean, again, there's, you know, from what I understand, uh, as I always do when you and I talk, throw out the caveat, I don't know what I don't know. Yes. Who knows how much has changed, you know, since I spoke to anybody. Um, who knows how much they told me about what's actually going on. That said, the hope was once they got past the midterms, Russia would be inclined to negotiate in good faith. The U.S. has said that they made what they call a, a legitimate, serious offer in June and that Russia has not made what they would call a, a, a genuine counterproposal, something the U.S. can act on. Um, the thought in the State Department and the White House is that Putin's government is not going to agree, was not going to agree to any deal that could be considered a political victory for Joe Biden. Mm. And knowing that was the case, they thought, okay, let's get past the midterms. Uh, you know, there was even some thought, you know, what if they actually made a deal at the midterms? Um, then you steal his thunder and 
it's buried in the news, but no, they went another direction. Um, somehow they, they've got her moving and very quietly. I mean, news, news didn't break in Russia over this. It took her lawyers finally announcing it once, once they discovered. Mm. Uh, but it's, it's I, I mean, I, I have no clue what this does to the negotiations. Um, what you would imagine it does is puts, you know, conceivably puts more pressure on the White House from a domestic audience here that's going to say, oh my God, look what's happening. You have to do something right away. Brittany Griner's representatives and her family have said consistently that they believe the White House is fully engaged, that the president and the secretary of state are doing as much as they possibly can. Um, but as, as they say, Russia gets a vote. And if Russia is not willing to move, there's very little the U.S. can do. It doesn't seem to be a question that Russia has said the U.S. isn't offering enough. Um, it's not that the, the White House is holding out for what people would consider to be a balanced deal. I mean, the, mm. the White House and State Department have said consistently that the president's willing to make a deal that would be imbalanced in the entry, you know, giving up too much. Which is a hell of a negotiating position to begin with, right? We will right. overpay by the terms of, of, yeah, the capital, the political capital involved here. Right. I mean, it's, you know, there's got to be a limit. There are certain things that they're not going to do. We, you know, we understand that Russia has asked for a, a Russian national named uh, Vadim Krasikov, who was convicted in Germany for murder in Belgium. Uh, the Germans have him. Apparently, Russia's at, reportedly, Russia's asked for him. And the U.S. response is, we, we can't trade somebody we don't have. And, you know, a, a top legal lawyer who's dealt with Russia extensively, you know, said to me, this is the kind of move that they make probably just to cause tension between the U.S. and Germany. Um, so so the U.S. is... Yeah, Germany being an ally of the United States, Germany, of course, on the other side of Russia as it comes to all of the geopolitical conflicts going on in Ukraine right now. Exactly. And, and you know, uh, Putin would be very eager to fracture any alliances with a NATO. Um, he wants to, we can resolve, in, in, you know, especially in Western Europe, um, where people were still dependent on, on, on Russian oil. You know, and and part of the whole Russian playbook is is sowing chaos in other places. That's why you have the bot farms. That's why you have moves like this, potentially anyway. So the U.S. has said, okay, we're not willing to we're, we're not willing to trade a guy we don't have. So clearly, there's a line someplace that the White House has said, at least to this point. We're not going to go pressured. That, that essentially means we're not going to go ask Germany for him. So there's a limit to what they'll do. Mm. But they're, you know, they've said we're willing to trade someone like Victor Boot, who's who's 14 years into a 25 year sentence. Yep, the Merchant of Death, as we have called him, and many have called him elsewhere. Yeah, right. Although, although speaking to somebody in Russia not not long ago, they said they they feel like that's kind of an American uh, media creation <laughs> that he's. Not quite the folk hero over there. We've made him out to be, I don't know. Right, an arms dealer who has had a legend unto himself in literal movies at this point. Yep, and whatever the specifics, whatever nickname you want to hang on him, there's a big difference between somebody doing a 25-year sentence for supporting terrorism and somebody who was busted with, you know, a minimal amount of, of, of cannabis oil when she was entering the country. More from TJ after the break.
Now let's talk about the play of the week. The pressure to follow up Hypnotic and Cognac weighing heavy on the team. Hypnotic was in the cup, blue, and ready for the play. And boom, Añejo Tequila came in with a smooth assist to Hypnotic's tropical fruit finish. Shaken, strained, poured. It was green and good. The playmaking splash shifted the tempo. Another great cocktail from the Hypnotic team. Every season is hypnotic and tequila season. Hypnotic liqueur, Bardstown, Kentucky, 17% alcohol by volume. Hypnotic reminds you to think wisely, drink wisely. Two guys drove to work. Neither guy wore a seatbelt. One guy got a ticket. One guy didn't. The same two guys drove home. One guy wore a seatbelt. One guy didn't. One guy made it home. The guy not wearing his seatbelt didn't. Don't risk it. Click it or ticket. Paid for by NHTSA. Okay, so it seems very clear that Brittany Griner is a political pawn in a larger game, and whether that game is chess or something far more chaotic, we don't yet know. But, man, TJ, like, I... I I'm just curious what Brittany's camp has said about all of the things we've just discussed at this point. I think you and I talked about this a long time ago that, um, you know, when it comes to a situation like this, it's the old metaphor of it's not a sprint, it's a marathon goes out the window. It's not a marathon, it's an ultra marathon, or at least you have to be prepared for one. It is, there are these, you know, it is typical for cases like this for there to be these peaks and troughs of hope and despair and the advice to the to the families who are living through it and to the people who are locked up abroad is you just have to take it a day at a time, ride it out, um, because you're going to have moments where suddenly your hope is up. And, and you know, just like was the case after her conviction, Russia had kept saying all along, uh, we're not going to negotiate. We're not going to do anything until the trial plays out. It was important for Russia to present this as a legitimate legal proceeding, both for a domestic audience to show, hey, this is still a legitimate government. Um, and internationally, they kind of go through this kabuki. You and I can't go too long without throwing that word in somewhere. That's right. Again, this this pretense that it's a legitimate process. And and there's just no objective way to say that it is. They were, they've been willing to trade her since since very early on and as soon as you put a price on somebody it's no longer jurisprudence now it's now it is a hostage negotiation Mm. so you know there was some hope when she was convicted that okay we've been through the process now russia can can deal but they didn't move they they didn't come back the way the u.s hoped and then you heard secretary of state antony blinken make the, the unprecedented statement that the u.s had made an offer um, Russia has every time that happens, every time the U.S. says something, Russia, you know, you you hear complaints from top officials there that the U.S. needs to keep quiet about this. Um, is it coincidence that U.S. officials got to see her on Thursday and 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 said, you know, reported that they had seen her, and then the next day she's 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 out of there? I have no idea. You know, all I know is that once again. While her family was looking toward, you know, the November eight midterm election deadline as you know a, a possible trigger point to to get negotiations going, now all of a sudden they get this news. Yeah, I mean, look, the midterms—that was the reason why we had this episode pegged for this specific day. 
And now because the timeline on all this has moved faster than certainly we expected, I, I do have to ask you to be an amateur, uh, well, decreasingly amateur, I would say, TJ, decreasingly amateur Kremlinologist and tell us what do you think the message here is? What's what's the message being sent by all of this happening on this timeline now? It's, it's uh, again, basing this on much smarter people that I've spoken to who, who live in this world. And, you know, I, as you and I have discussed, I was over there, you know, coming up on five years ago and we did, you know, extensive reporting on Putin's involvement in international sport. And when you kind yes. of dive into that world, as, as we did, uh, five years ago, there are certain things that you learn. One, like we said before, the whole chaos element that they love to throw curveballs um, or whatever the Russian equivalent of a curveball is. Uh, another is it, it's it's at least a clear statement that this moves at, at it's Russia saying this moves at our pace. Mm. You know, yeah, typically maybe things move, you know, in weeks or months when you're going to transfer a prisoner to a penal colony. In this case, no, it was it was just you know what what eight days after her appeal was was denied. Um, was it in reaction again to the U.S. visit? I have no idea. I have no idea. But regardless of the timing, um, it's still clearly Russia saying we're in charge. We're going to set the timetable here. But speaking of the pace that everybody prefers here in their own respective corners of this story. How would you describe the pretext for this in terms of the American perspective, in terms of all the criticism, the tweets, the campaigns that have been ongoing, but certainly have also evolved uh, over time? Well, Brittany Griner's camp, you know, mostly her, her agents and, and her family have really managed the conversation very carefully. You, you hear once in a while somebody you know, spout off on their own, like Kyrie Irving, you know, uh, when the season began for the Nets. One of the statements, actually, people will probably not remember from him this year, but you know when he said right. POTUS, he said POTUS do your job, and there was a, there was some real cringing from people um, around Brittany Griner because the, their their attitude has been, look, we, we want to put pressure on the White House when we feel that their attention is slipping away, and then after the meeting that Brittany's agent and wife had with President Biden, um, they they came away feeling like, okay, he's truly engaged. He's personally engaged in this. He knew all about her case. Um, you know, apparently they spent a good deal of time with him and left there with the confidence that he's engaged. That said, they don't want to completely let up pressure. Well, they don't want to lose attention for two reasons. One, because you don't want to lose that pressure. And the other is just, they don't want her to be forgotten. Her lawyer had told me that um, on, on her birthday, uh, last month that um, when, you know, she brought cards and letters for people and that she said, you know, Brittany has a lot of ups and downs and some good days and bad days, but that was a huge boon to her to see that support. So that's part of the reason that they like to keep some attention uh, to this. Now, that said, I, th I think it's it's clear that once, you know, once the word gets out it's, and by the time this runs, it's out, there will be an outcry. Well, TJ, let's let's put a specific voice and a name and a context to some of those outcries that undoubtedly are going to only increase in volume after this news gets out because we just heard Becky Hammond, the title-winning coach of the Las Vegas Aces, make an argument that I've seen everywhere at this point, which is essentially that if this was LeBron James and not Brittany Griner, 
their treatment would have been very different given the same circumstance. I just wish that, you know, it would be interesting, and I'm not saying yes, no, whatever, but, like, if this was LeBron James, is LeBron James still sitting over there? I don't think so. And that's the unfortunate part about all of this. And, and why don't you think that? I think there would be an absolute uproar, craziness, pandemonium. And uh, it got a lot of attention, and, and it's still getting some attention. Um, but there's days where it's like, man, she's still over there. Mm-hmm. Night after night after night. And, um, you know, we've got to get her back as soon as possible. And so as someone who has spent all of this time reporting this story out, is there any validity to that school of criticism here? There is not one person I've spoken to who's familiar with either Russian politics or the Russian legal system who thinks there's any credibility to that. That. If LeBron, it had been LeBron James or Tom Brady, that it would have been worse, that they would have been far more valuable. You know, it, it's when, when people say, well, they would have done something, they would have gotten him out. How? How would they have gotten him out? They're offering Victor Boot and possibly somebody else to trade for her. Um, you're not going to send SEAL Team 6 into Russia during a war. The U.S. is trying to stay out of one right now. You, it, this isn't Somalia where you can send in, you know, some sort of commando unit to, to get somebody out. You are at the mercy of Russia's willingness to deal. And so far, it seems, if you're just going to look at it in economic terms, Russia values the chaos they're creating and the turmoil they're creating in the U.S. more than they value what the U.S. has offered to get her back. If, if it were LeBron or, or Tom Brady, they'd be asking for way more. They would, they, would, mm. they, would, they would revel in the chaos that's being created over here. So I don't, I, again, I'm basing this on, on far more knowledgeable people, but no, that, that, it, it definitely wouldn't be the case. But it does, all of this does seem, the outcry does seem to arrive as a result of helplessness, TJ, right? I mean, Completely. You're, 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 yeah. you're, de- you're describing certainly the perspective of a government, which has to balance the needs and the good of its people, broadly speaking. And then you're talking on the other side of this equation. You're talking about a person whose loved one has been in Russia for 265 days. And it just feels like that just seems like a circle that in this story will never be squared. Right. The U.S. government has to serve the interests of one, they want to get Americans home. Two, there are political realities to what they do. It's part of the reason that they want to bring both Paul Whelan, who is a a white male over the age of 50, and Brittany Griner, a black gay woman, knowing that if you got one and not the other, 40% of the country is going to go nuts. They want to bring them home together. So, I mean, you just can't dismiss that political calculation. They have to recognize that whatever they do potentially affects other Americans abroad and the risk that they may face of being detained. They have to look at how this fits into their larger strategies of trying to avoid a nuclear war. Right now, you know, uh, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan is in direct conversations, as we've learned. You know, they, they got a lot on their plate. If you're Sherelle Griner, you have one mission. Get your wife home. That's it. And it's the same with Paul Whelan's family. And right now, those families who, you know, arguably have far more at stake. I mean, look, Brittany Griner's teammates, uh, friends, uh, you know, fans, they have a stake in it, but not the way Sherelle Griner does, not the way her parents do. And so far, they're saying, look, we, we recognize that there's only so much our government can do. And so still, TJ, for all that has changed 
in the last set of hours that that we've been dealing with this story on this podcast, it is fundamentally still a story about the price of freedom, right? A price that Joe Biden has to agree to, but a price that nobody knows still because the guy who has to accept the other side of that transaction, as you called it, is Vladimir Putin. So at the risk of at the risk of making us all seem even dumber than we did a couple hours ago, what do you think the next step is here? It sounds like the next step is the U.S. is going to scramble to find out exactly what's going on, exactly where she is. Um, again, being reminded that Russia doesn't have to tell them. Um, they'll tell them when they want to tell them. And it's possible that it could be you know, we could be several weeks until that letter, that official letter arrives. I don't know what their postal system is like. Uh, I wouldn't want to have to rely on that in this country. No. Much less over there where, you know, any able-bodied young man is being shipped off to the front. So it's once again where they were before. They wait. They try to read tea leaves. You know the U.S. government is going to have some statement. And by the time you and I are talking, there's a good chance they've already issued one at least by the time people listen to this. And yeah, I mean, it's it's just, it, it brings everybody back to that sense of, of helplessness. Yeah. TJ Quinn, thank you as always for telling us what you know and also what you don't. Glad to do it. One more quick update. Late last night, Brittany Griner's agent released a statement and it read, quote, our primary concern continues to be BG's health and well-being as we work through this very difficult phase of not knowing exactly where BG is or how she is doing. We ask for the public support in continuing to write letters and express their love and care for her. We are thankful for everyone's support and hope that as we near nine months of detention, that BG and all wrongfully detained Americans will be shown mercy and returned home to their families for the holidays. I'm Pablo Torre. This has been ESPN Daily. And I'll talk to you tomorrow.